Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Sign this new contract here at Arsenal, but what made you so sure that this was the best place and this was the right decision for you? It's Arsenal, you know. Come on, it's Arsenal. Just, just confirming your record. Welcome back to the <laughs> An Arsenal podcast with Alexander Money Penny, my very good friend. Bradley Adams. Uh, you'll always be shit. You'll always be shit. Tottenham Hotspur. You'll always be shit. Did you watch this in a field, Brad? I did. I did. Um, my mum, about, I want to say three months ago, while I was out of the country, bought a horse. And my aunt has a farm. The farm is where the horse stays. And because of the inclement weather, they needed some manly help to oh. lift some wood and other things over to uh, the pig pen to create a little a little hutch. So I obliged... Um, and at about 70 minutes in, I'm watching this game and I've gone, oh, do you know what? I'm getting a bit cold in this car. I'm going to turn the engine on for a bit. Try to turn the engine over. Nothing. Uh, the battery had completely flatlined and we were stuck out there um, for for hours. Um, and you stunk of shit. And I, I did literally stink oh, of horse shit. Um, but... Nothing can stink of shit as much as that Tottenham Hotspur performance, Alex. He's back. <laughs> Good segue. He's fucking back. Good segue. <laughs> he is fuck. He is here. 
He is fucking here, boys. Come on. I was wondering where that anecdote was going, but that was a good segue. <laughs> that was a good segue. Well done. Good podcasting. Welcome oh. back to the Different Up podcast. Arsenal to Spurs nil at the toilet bowl. We hope you enjoyed that because I certainly fucking did. Actually, no, that's a good place to start. That's a good place to start because my word of the game, and I'll come to you in a second, Bradley, um, is symbolic. Uh because I wouldn't say, like, I enjoyed it. It was an enjoyable game. I enjoyed the result. I like the fact where it points clear. All that said. But I have to be honest and say that my overall, my overriding feeling is more kind of relief, is more a sort of vindication and more of a sort of angry, like, fuck you. Like, yes, get in. Because it felt like more, like less of a sort of, I don't know, there's certain games where you you just smash people and you just think, we're, we're going to win the league. You know, and every goal goes in, you sort of go, hilarious, like, what a game. And this one really felt like a sort of, it felt like a fuck you. It really felt like mm. a fuck you for last season. It felt like with all the antics and stuff, and we'll come to about, you know, at the end of the game, and that sort of stuff. It really felt like a, a symbolic game in a number of different ways. The second goal, especially, which um, which we'll come to later, felt massively symbolic of where we are at in the process and stuff. But it felt symbolic in terms of, a sort of mental block that this team, you know, it feels like all of the sort of traditional mental blocks, like going away to Anfield, which we still need to do, uh, you know, have, you know, going away to Spurs, those sorts of games where it just feels like we can never, going away to Stamford Bridge, it just feels like we can never quite get over that hurdle. This season feels like we're starting to do that. And especially considering how traumatic that last visit to the Tottenham Hospital Stadium was, um, it just felt hugely symbolic for this project and this team. And I, I felt immediately in the game, and I tweeted this before the game, if we could get control of the football, we know we're better than them technically. We know we've got the better technical players. If we can kill the game, if we can get that stadium quiet and then start to play our football, I think we have no problem here. And we actually started playing our football a lot sooner than that. I thought about five, ten minutes in, we started to purr really. Um, because that stadium was turning and you could hear it. It was it was quiet. You could hear the music when they went off at half time. You could hear you know, when, when Nketiah uh, went through and should have scored, um, I often feel like when you're watching something away, you don't always get the sense of how big a chance is because the commentators are, are surrounded by, you know, they're not going, Nketiah! They might be at home. They're surrounded by Spurs fans. They sort of go, oh, Nketiah, good chance. There's silence in the crowd. And actually that, to me, tells me what the atmosphere is like because there's not, there's almost not a sense of relief. It's a sense of resignation. Yeah. And there's very, it could very quickly turn in that stadium um, because, you know, if you're not getting the results and you're playing shit football, um, it causes a problem. But yeah, my word of the game was symbolic because I just felt as though that was a real, I, I wouldn't say I was elated. I wouldn't say it was a sort of Derby day. We sort of go home and drink six pints and, you know, scream to high heaven. It felt more of a breathe out. Thank fuck. That's a, that's a good win. It's an important win and it's a symbolic win for this project. And it's, it's good for us mentally moving forward. Absolutely. And with North London derbies, so often form goes out of the window. And that's what we had to hold on to, is our kind of ability above them. I had two options for the word of the game. Uh, the one that I didn't go with was pity, because I feel an awful lot of pity for that squad. And I'll explain why with my actual word. Um, and it's mismatch. It was a total mismatch. That first half looked like we were playing a League One side in the FA Cup. I actually think Oxford put up more of a fight in the first half against us than Spurs did. Yeah. 
uh, and I think it, <laughs> did, I think yeah. it matches out tactically. If you look for some reason, they sat five defenders uh, on our three wingers, and it meant that we had a seven v five overload all the time in the midfield, in the back areas which is not what you want to give a team playing the best football in the league and one of the best passing teams in the league and in the world right now. We saw it with Partey and Xhaka and Erdegaard and Saliba and White and Zinchenko 30, 40 times where they'd be able to take one, two touches on the ball. And this is maybe 10, 15 yards from Spurs' box and we're taking two to three touches on the ball and measuring every single moment because we just had that numerical overload in the first two thirds of the pitch. And then when we got to their final third, it just felt like they were so, so unsure of what they were meant to do that we, that our plans just kept coming in and, and both goals come from it, you know. The fact that we had that unbelievable numerical overload in the midfield causes Sessegnon to push up a little bit. Um, and then Party has that opportunity for the over-the-top ball for Saka, which then leads to, obviously, the absolute howler. And similar situations, breaking with that numerical overload meant that we were automatically in a pretty much a four-on-four situation. And they didn't know what to do with that because they couldn't close Erdegaard down because then they were giving space for Saka to run into. And then they couldn't, it, it felt, it was a game won and lost very much, obviously by the personnel, but mainly by the managers. Uh, and I think the reason that I say pity is I think that Spurs fans have been deceived into this idea that Antonio Conte is the way forward. When if a man has three months left on his contract at your club, and isn't signing a new deal, you need to just sack him and move on. You need to, because how are you going to plan a, imagine, right, we've got three months left on Arteta's deal. Do you think that we're offering £100 million for Michaelo Mudrik in, in January? No, because we don't even know if the manager that wants him is going to be there in three months. How is this as a, and this, it's, it's a mismatch in terms of strategy. It's a mismatch in terms of tactics, in terms of stature, in terms of quality, and in terms of just alignment and plan moving forward. Spurs are a dumpster fire of a club right now with no obvious road forward. And all of them are just running around screaming and throwing water on themselves, hoping to not set a light. Whereas if you look at everything that's happening for Arsenal on and off the pitch right now, it is one vision, it is one goal. And we are, and you see that with the fact that we pulled out for Mudrik. There's rumours going around that Mudrik asked us to match the bid and we refused. And asked us to match the wages and we refused because we have a way of working. We have what we are and what we do and who we are and we remember that. And that is exactly why we set eight points clear at the top of the table. And I think that after the meltdown from Mudrik, some fans could could do with remembering that. They really, really could. We are the Arsenal and this is what we are doing. Yeah, the there's a lot of good stuff in there, mate. And and the alignment stuff is is exactly it. And and just to return to your earlier point about structure, the, it was it was a manager's game. You know, as much as the personnel is is is, is right, as much as uh, and I agree with you, it was a manager's game. I couldn't believe how Spurs set up for this game. It's bordering on arrogance. To, to believe that you can come and, 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 and stick two wing backs on 
and vacate the midfield and think we're not going to get the ball through you. I mean, it is, it, I, I don't understand it and, and position those wingbacks where they were. Once we tucked Saka in, they had absolutely nothing. They were relying on Hoiberg to get the ball in because Saka was on Sessegnon and then once they got the ball, they had nothing to do. Hoiberg was swinging balls in towards Kane. It was dominated 2v1 by Saliba and Gabriel. I mean, you know, we talk about Conte and we talk about this, you know, this great manager, but all that punditry is all, it's all reputation. It's all reputation of what he's gone before, what he's done before. And the game has moved on. Okay, he won a title recently, 2017. The game has moved on leaps and bounds since then. The game has moved on an extraordinary amount since then in terms of, you know, Pep coming in and, and changing how people are playing and how people are approaching the game. The likes of De Zerbi, you know, like, look at how these teams are setting up and look at how they are able to create the overloads and the 1v1s and, 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 and structure their teams. It was mind-boggling. You know, actually, the Oxford thing is a... Is a is a is a big is a big point actually as well because you know they sat up with three in the midfield I think it was McGuane and there are two other two other guys I can't remember but yeah that Marcus McGuane guy used to play for us and because we didn't have the quality of the personnel that day we struggled to get the ball through them because they matched us up in the midfield if you give Zinchenko Partey and Ben White three of the best ball progressors in this league license you are going to get absolutely destroyed so it's mental to me that they thought they could play this game and get away with it I I think it's it's either it's it, it's a number of things. It it's possibly arrogance, it's possibly incompetence, or or it's a mistake. But any of those, and at worst, at worst, it's naivety from a manager. Yeah. You're paying twenty million pounds yeah. a year, and, and this, you're paying somebody that level. Yeah, and this is the thing. This is the thing, and I, and I just think you know, you know, <laughs> thank fuck we're not managed by him. I mean, it just shows you the level that we're that we're playing at. I think there was a number of, and again, this all, all sort of fits into to, to my feeling of a sort of massive fuck you and this sort of vindication of these Spurs theories that we've had. We've known that they're not good at football. We've actually seen it. The only thing I think actually really changed from first to second half, because, you know, give credit to them. They did come on to us much better in the second half and we, we, couldn't, we couldn't play. But I think A, the damage was done and B, they were just absolutely caning it in the duels. Um, Kane maybe being the operative word, you know, he still couldn't get on the ball, but, um, but they were absolutely trying to muller us in the duels and it, it just couldn't, you know, when they're fighting harder, they can, they can have a bit of luck and their individuals can create moments, but, you know, uh, <laughs> let's come to, you know, a specific performance, right? Ramsdale. Oh, I thought Ramsdale was excellent. He was really, really, he was really, really good. He he wouldn't have been my man of the match. It would have been Erdegaard personally, but he would certainly have been up there. The, the thing with Ramsdale, I would say, is there wasn't a save apart from the Sessignon one with his leg that I thought he was was beyond what he should have been doing. Mm-hmm. So so I think he should have. And that, by the way, saying should doesn't mean it's not good. You know, say you know saying you know, but. He gets all the things right. He gets his positioning right. He gets his technique right. He makes himself big and he makes the save. He does all the things he should be doing. That's also good. You know, both things can be true, right? But also, apart from that setting on one where he gets it with his leg, I don't think he saved us necessarily, but they do have some some great ball strikers. And I think it, it, it kind of shows. And he just took the momentum out of the game for them. Um, but, you know, when when Aaron Ramsdale is, is, is put out as our man of the match in, in a game like that, I think it shows something and I think it shows that the mainstream, the mainstream media, but the mainstream pundits 
never focus on how well structured we are because I, I don't know whether they think people watching it are stupid or can't understand it, but I would love to see someone like Gary Neville explaining how Arsenal are able to play through Spurs with such ease in that first half because then it will tell you what's going on because all the, you know, the, the average football punter comes away from that going, well, Ramsdale got man of the match. They got pretty lucky in the second half. And, you know, Spurs, you know, just didn't click for them again today for another for another time, which is just bollocks. It's just not the story of the match. Um, so to me anyway. So, yeah, I, I I I think the son save, the son save as well, that that one, he, he has to get out so quick and make himself big. I think that's those two saves are the one where. I tweeted it out today because there's there's been this constant conversation about how many world-class players do Arsenal have and whatever and yada, yada, yada. Um, and I'm under the opinion we have two, Erdegaard and Saka. But I think that Ramsdale, You're under when the you opinion. consider how late a keeper blooms and how late into their... Uh, and how late into their career they play and play their best football is very much well on his way to being one of those players. Um, those two saves are sensational to get his boot up and flick the Sessegnon one and to get out quick enough and then spread his body big enough to block that son shot again it's just sensational pieces of work and sensational scouting from from the club because how many pel- like how many pelters did i give him did we give him going well I'm not too sure you know it's- Arsenal ended a run of 10 premier league games against spurs without uh without a clean sheet so we finally got a clean sheet for the first time in 10 games. Um, Arsenal kept, kept seven clean sheets away from home in the Premier League this season. That's one more than in the whole of 2021-22. Um, and obviously that's a structural thing. That's that's Saliba coming in, that's Zinchenko coming in. And, and um, you know, it's not to say that Ramsdale's the only part of that. But I think, you know, I, I don't want to say by saying that Ramsdale wouldn't have been my man of the match, say that he was bad. He wasn't bad. He was a really, really, really great um great performance from him and and credit must go to him but i think this uh, this narrative that you know spurs came at us in the second half and he saved our bacon i i, I don't buy I, th- I think i think he made some decent saves a couple of saves that were were all nice nice good save um but for me uh yeah and 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 just uh, just to con- continue out on this narrative thing for a second you know it's the first win here for 9 years and we've and we've kind of um we've kind of broken that voodoo, but Jamie Redknapp said less than a year ago, they were played off the park. And again, I just think that's rubbish. If you go back and, if you go back and watch that game in May, watch the first 20 minutes with, even without the right personnel, I think we don't have Partey. I think we, you know, I think we don't have, uh, Gabri- Tommy Asset left back, Cedric at right back. It's Tommy Asset at left back. Is White out? Yeah, White's out and um, holding, and then yeah. holding and holding and Gabrielle in yeah, in the centre, yeah. and, and and even then we still we still managed to yeah. to to play really well. So I just I just think this idea that we've somehow flipped some sort of switch, I think is 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 rubbish. What were you feeling going into the game in terms of the whole discipline of things? Because it was a big topic, a big sort of talking point coming into the game about Arsenal's discipline. Um, I don't see a problem. I mean, Richard Keyes. <laughs> if we're talking about that in, in that sense and that kind of discipline, I just think it's bollocks. Um, and I also don't think we were an undisciplined side. I think that if you look at some of the... I think it's... Bukayo Saka has four yellow cards and two of them have been for diving that weren't dives. 
<laughs> that like categorically weren't dives. Um, Gabrielle has received two yellow cards for time wasting and I'm watching Nick Pope against us lie on the floor for six minutes with the ball in his arms or take eight minutes. And do you know what I mean? I think that that as much as we want to talk about agendas and whatever, and I don't think there is an agenda, I think it's all about perception of clubs. And unfortunately, due to the perception of Arsenal, because of our history and because of certain things, we are refereed slightly differently. Uh, I think that because we're seen as this technical, tippy-tappy, kicking the ball about, play, like trying to walk in football team, when we do then get a bit physical, uh, it is not refereed to the same level as a Christian Romero who oh, cannot play football, but because he plays it with an aggressive nature, should have received a second yellow card on three separate occasions, but gets away with it because the ball didn't go out quick enough and because we've moved on too quick and it's not worth going back. Whereas if it's an Arsenal player, they go back because it's it's about... If you think that somebody's really, really nice, it comes as more of a shock when they punch you in the face than somebody that you think is an asshole. And I think that's the problem is we need to really work on educating referees about how perception biases their... Um, their judging of a game. I think it's really, really important thing that we need to start introducing because Burnley in the Premier League didn't have somebody sent off for like four years, but were two-footing people left, right and centre or whatever it was. And Arsenal had one of the worst disciplinary records over a couple of years. So it's definitely there, but it's not an agenda, it's perception. I do think I do think you're right about perception. And <laughs> last thing about Spurs. Oh, that is a nice jumper, by the way. That is very nice. When'd you get that? God, I think it's an Arsenal for those. This is an audio platform, so this is uh, unlistenable uh, content. But this is a, it's a sort of retro. It's got the retro badge from the Man City away kit esque, but with the retro badge. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a fleece. It's lovely. I live in it. Well done, Brad. Well done. Thanks. Take it off sometimes, though, mate. Otherwise, you'll stink of shit. Um, again. Uh. The what was gonna I was make, I was making a point and now I completely forgotten about it. yes perception perception uh, this is the the last thing we'll say about narratives and perception but I do think it's relevant um, Spurs this is why they piss me off they're spoken about in the media like a title winning team uh, then they are when they fail they're spoken about like a mid table team and when they're refereed they're refereed like a mid table team we just have to decide what they are are they a challenging top top level team that should be winning the league every year in which case let's talk about them let's referee them like that or are they a mid level team who are doing quite well at the moment. Then let's talk about them like that. Do you know what I mean? We, we, we can't, they can't have both. This is what pissed me off about Spurs. All they are, anyway. all they are is a Leicester with a fancy stadium who had a couple of extra years of quote-unquote success because they don't have the silverware to go on with that success. Why should they be in, the t in this big six? They shouldn't. They've won fuck all. Get rid of the bastards. Oh, we've got a nice stadium. Oh, we can pour pints really quickly. Ooh, oh, they play American football here twice a year. Oh, we had Lady Gaga perform here. Um, uh... <laughs> Have you seen that meme? Have you seen that meme of the little kid? Where it's like when they mock your laugh. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's basically a little kid who's like... <laughs> Spurs fans. Spurs fans to everyone. Right. Um, okay. Uh, also, thank fuck Harry Kane's... Uh, record didn't come against oh. us. Thank fuck. He can do, he can go chat to Brighton and Fulham and them man and do that there. That's a compliment. Um, That's a compliment. Let's be, 
before we it is they're actually by them at the moment I think they're I think they're sandwiched in between them in the league um let's do the Richarlis before we get into the game sort of more granularly uh, let's do the Richarlison incident um He's a nasty fucker, isn't he? Him and Romero. He lost his head before he even um, came on the pitch. I mean, he he, he, he was trying to block to... throw-ins from Tomiyasu. He was he didn't shake Martinelli's hand when he was trying to, you know, it's, it's all this sort of stuff. And then he and then he just completely aggravates Ramsdale. I I hope the FA do something about that because he can't continue to do that. Um, and it's then, not even that he know, aggravates Ramsdale. Fan. He incites. He starts being violent by pushing Ramsdale by scratching him in the face and if you're watching your idols and you're watching the people that you support and you idolize you emulate that opinion and behavior and I also think uh, this is the only oxygen I'll give to that waste of space but the fact being sport need to remove Richard Keyes and need to seriously apologize for trying to incite the idea that the victim of an assault somehow is responsible for it being perpetrated no it was it was it was it wasn't even the victim of the assault it was the the manager of the victim of the assault no no, no but he also he also <laughs> said about he said about the fact that he's celebrating in front of them and that's obviously going to rile them up doesn't mean that that they it then have the right blaming. to storm the it's fucking stupid being need to being need to seriously apologize and fine keys or just kick him off because it is not going to be long before he starts just dragging their name through the mud and it's it does just become embarrassing it's like gary neville saying oh he doesn't think arsenal are going to win the league and he thinks united are going to finish second it's just what are you you're an you're I'm, you're just I'm, embarrassing yourself this is valencia 2.0 i'm rewatching the incident here i think basically what happens is richarlison is trying to say don't go and celebrate in front of our fans, which Ramsdale sort of does, but also it's football, mate. Like, what? What? Do you, <laughs> what is, he's getting his bottle, like, and he's saying that the, the steward separates him, and then just everyone comes over, and it just feels like a sort, you know, those sort of things where everyone's a bit drunk at the party, and everyone runs over. There's this shot of Erdegaard running towards him, and you can see everyone. The fan jumps over and kicks him. I'm not. It's not. <laughs> We use the word assault, which I will use to make it sound worse than it is. But he also just kicks him in the back. I mean, it's not, a, he's not like, he's not got a knife. Like he does just, I think he just wants a bit of a moment of fame, but he should, he should absolutely be banned. It's not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, you know, this, there's a lot yeah. of like Ramsdale attacked and I'm like, okay, kick, kicks him in the back. It's not the end of the world. But then there's this huge melee. And what I love, and I think is probably the big positive out of all this is Mikel Arteta's response which is absolutely brilliant. He comes over, he separates it out. All the Arsenal staff have come over and are sort of pulling pulling Ramsdale away. Zinchenko pulls him away. And then I think Arteta basically spots that Granit Xhaka's going in for afters. And you see the moment where he's happy with Ramsdale and he spots, he spots Xhaka and then just shows more pace than Matt Doherty down that right-hand side. Tracks runners nope, better than Spurs' midfield. <laughs> And just goes right away, and I love it because, as much as it's funny, it's also really great because it's like mm-hmm. no, no, no. This this shouldn't mark up. This shouldn't be the the defining moment. As much as Spurs will want this to be, you know, and it will be about the fan rather than how poorly Spurs played. It will be about the 
the melee at the end rather than how the fact we beat them. Let's not make this the headline. Let's make mm-hmm. the fact that we and our fans should enjoy this moment. And yeah. that is perfect management from Arteta. So credit to him. Final thing on that issue as well, and on the whole kind of situation, there's a really, I think it's on David Seaman's podcast, um, and there's a really interesting clip that's come up back again of Ramsdale's interview with him, where he talks about a moment with Chelsea uh, at Stamford Bridge, where um, the fans had been giving it to him all game, calling him every name under the sun. And then after we scored, um, he waved at them. And he, you know, he's known for his antics with opposition fans. And and the steward said to him, oh, why did you have to do that? And he's like, and Ramsdale apparently said to the guy, well, you've listened to them call me every name under the sun. And I think this is the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you want to dish it out to these people, and I've heard the language at football matches, it's not PG-13. Like, people are saying horrendous things to these people to try and put them off. Like, it's yeah, it's vile. If you want to do that... You have to expect that if we batter you in your own backyard and you're saying that kind of stuff, we're going to take the piss out of you. And that's what you deserve, right? And unfortunately, some people need to learn some humility in that. And one of them is Richarlison. You were bought for £60 million. You have zero Premier League goals. You have more faces scratched than you do Premier League goals. (laughs) Try and get your shooting boots on and then talk to Aaron Ramsdale. Aaron Ramsdale try and is get on more the pitch, likely mate. to try, score. Try and get a start for Spurs. Yeah, <laughs> fucking hell. Spurs are honking. Kulisevsky's been out for three months and he still couldn't get on the pissing pitch. Awful. Let's get to the game. Let's get to the game. We've done enough Spurs bashing, which yes. as much as I enjoy it, uh, does at some point uh, grow a little bit old. So there's a very there's a very good early chance for Nketiah. And I said this on the instant reaction Um but I do think it's very apt. Something uh, I think I think it was Clive in the Arsenal Vision podcast said was that he'd love to see Nketiah start to break games open. And I think that is a big thing in the same way that Sterling often does. Raheem Sterling for City all, and Mane as well. Sterling and Mane always seem to be sort of from about 2017 to about 2020, 2021, around that time. They always seem to open games up for those teams. They always seem to get the first goal. They all seem to be in the right place at the right time to get the momentum going. And I'd love to see Nketiah be the person who takes those early opportunities because he tends to warm up a little bit. I don't know whether it's something in his preparation or something in his mentality or something, but it always feels like Nketiah has one or two chances and then scores. But you don't always get three chances or four chances. And in this case, you know, he has one one in the first half and it could be in the second half, but he definitely has another chance where I just think he hits it at Lloris again and I think he should score. It's a good opportunity. Um, I'm sure he's working on it. And the first about touch it. lets him down on that second one. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I'm just watching this back here it's yeah you know Martinelli actually does really well to find him it's a little sort of back heel and Ketia does work uh, not back heel sorry uh, overhead kick um and then Ketia just hits it at Larice. it's such a weak it's so weak and there's a, I think the one later he's down the side and he can he should just smash it into the roof of the net but he just doesn't quite get there um and Ketia's improved in so many different things there was a video of going round of him um his physique um, I don't know if you saw it, but it was a, a, mm. a thing of of comparing him from like 2020 or something to now. Um, and he's you know packed on so much muscle. His all round game's improved, but for me, it, he just always seems to need a couple of chances, um, especially in big games, and that's a that's a that's a shame. Um, 
Partey should absolutely get a yellow for that for that handball, by the way. It was a little the first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just sticks his hand out. Hilarious. Um, then the goal. The goal comes. Um, I think it's the funniest possible way that Spurs could have conceded. The only, the only more funny way was when in the home derby last season, Kane lost the ball and we went and scored. Or yes. if Kane scored a own goal. It's in the top three, though. Someone spanking a ball at Larice and him just absolutely fumbling the bag. I mean, it's dreadful. I, and I think a, it was the best so, way. I tweeted this. I said it's happen. a sort of career, career, not career ending because he's had an amazing career, but sort of it shows where he's at. And I just think they all know they need to replace him. But I think it will be pointed to as a sort of symbolic moment of, yeah, that's the moment we knew Larice yeah. was probably done. And they talked, there's been talk about interest in Pickford which I think would be really, really interesting from Spurs, have a Pickford-Ramsdale derby. Um, but yeah, you you watched that. I think that was also, on a, on a kind of more game state level, the best way to score that first goal because it, it just deflated everything and everyone. And it gave the defenders no confidence in Lloris. So they just sat that, that little bit further back because they knew he wasn't comfortable, knew he wasn't good with with the ball at his feet, knew that he couldn't be... It it really gave us a a weird advantage of confidence because it just... If you go down to a goal like that, it just sucks the... It sucks the energy out of you and the excitement because you're like, oh, I'm doing everything right. I've shown my man to the outside and he's just spanked the ball at the goalkeeper and Lloris basically punches it into his own fucking net. So... I think, ironically, that is that 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 was the best way for us to take the lead because it just set the tone yep. for the game moving forward. Yep, set the tone in the stadium as well. Um, I think it takes a slight deflection, but um, it does. Yeah, I yes, mean, it does. Know, we, could, we could we could purr over so many things in that first half. I loved the adjustment of Saka sitting in the as as the wing back, forced them inside where they had no players. Um, loved our distances. Our distances are so good. You know, my you know this isn't to discredit my girlfriend, but she's not. You know, she she watches football. But she's not into the tactical side of things particularly. But she said, "Why can I always see all of the Spurs players and why they stood so close to each other?" And it's a it's a great point. If you watch us, we're constant. There's always a free man. There's always a um uh a ma- a man somewhere that you can find or or a, structure, a release valve or a build up or a triangle or a lease valve or something and we cover the pitch so well um it's just inc- it's incredible coaching it's so good um and it also means they can't get out i'm so know? happy i'm so happy more than you believe more than you believe i'm happy happy new year i was watching i was watching so just brief interlude i was watching uh, the um when I lose a duel, a video. <laughs> when I lose a duel, do you know the funniest part of that is when he goes, he goes, <laughs> I see you in training, guys. When you lose the ball, you are happy. Oh, it's okay. I can get the next ball. No! <laughs> he like screams, no! <laughs> I don't know how they give a straight face. No! no! I need to, I can't find it because we're recording on my phone. But there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a mocked up thing of, of the, of the moment with Ramsdale and the moment with Xhaka and him notice he's like, fucking hell, guys. I can't believe we won. And then he turns, it's like, fucking oh, hell. Fog. Uh, yeah. Fog. Oh, fog. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I was crying. It's fucking oh. It's okay. I can lose the ball. It's okay. No! 
Um, anyway, there are... <laughs> back to analysis. Uh, we're a professional podcast, Brad. We don't say things like nonce. Um, the... Uh, you said it first. Yeah, I'll... That's true. You can say it now. You get one. We get one nonce token a, a podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, our counter press was just so nice. It's just the, the Gabriel and Saliba do absolute bits for us, stepping in and sort of taking turns uh, on this sort of almost like a counterweight thing. They both step forward. The second we lose the ball, you can see that those exercises that they do in training without five seconds to get it back. And we tend to get it back. It's so well structured. There's always one person chasing and then others surrounding the way we're positioned for the second ball. There's just so much detail. That's just so, 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 so good. Um, Partey's absolute screamer. Goal of the season. I was gutted. That would have been goal of the fucking, that would have been the best goal ever scored in that stadium, probably. Incredible. Heartbreak. You just have moments where you're like, oh. Um, I also love the fact that just no one wants to go near while he's getting booed. And I don't want to either. Uh, right, the, se- <laughs> the second goal. It's also really funny that they stopped the s- booing after that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, fair enough. The second goal, I've got a video coming out about this later on, sums up everything good about Arsenal at the moment it's everything good it's our structure on that i go into more detail on this on the video but it's our structure to make Lloris kick it long it's gabriel's little shove on kane so saliba can win the the um win the duel to get it forward it's Partey's ball progression it's saka's ball carrying uh and it's erdegaard taking on the shot that he probably wouldn't have taken on two years ago um and it's just a great finish uh and it just it just to me it doesn't feel like a team goal necessarily from from a first watch but it really is in terms of how we get the ball back, how we get the ball forward and, you know, finished with absolute aplomb by, by Erdegaard. It's incredible. Um, I thought Ramsdale, as much as he was good uh, with his hands, he was excellent with his feet. Oh, I thought the clipped balls to the fullbacks are one of the biggest cheat codes that we have right now because they are pretty much always inch perfect. And if you can just immediately take two or three Spurs, which we were doing, you know, we were taking probably both Kane and Son or Kane and Kudasevsky out of the game with one clipped ball to a player like White or Zinchenko. You, like, the the advantage that gives you and the immediate p- progression that gives you is is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, yes, Spurs were better in that second half, um, but it did feel like we... It was more a sense that they clearly been shouted at <laughs> and were just told to be more aggressive. And and I think, you know, we joke about the duels thing, but it's such an important thing. You know, there's a quote from Arteta that, that um, from a book uh, that he wrote about Pep's side. And he says, for City or any top side, it's obviously great. Not he wrote, sorry, someone else wrote an interview for him. He didn't write a book. For City or any top side, it's obviously great to have players who bring you control of the ball, control of matches. But in the Premier League, it's vital to have guys who offer massive amounts of intensity and athletic aggression in key 1v1 moments. If you don't have that, then for however much you construct intricate interior play, the big beast of the Premier League will eventually press you and rob the ball from you. And I think this is one of two, one of many, but two fundamental key differences between Pep and Arteta that I think isn't necessarily spoken about. Firstly, just to go back quickly on the goalkeepers thing, because I thought about that then, 
there's lots of data going around that they tend to not play the ball out with Edison. As much as Edison can send it long, they tend to try and play it shorter than we do. Um, I think Arteta is much more keen on those second balls, which all comes from the jewels. And I think also in terms of the profiles that he's signing, in terms of the players that he's targeting, the 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 back line now are all six footers and they're athletic and and aggressive and quick and sh- sorry apart from Zinchenko but you know Tommy Asu this Fresneda guy that we'll come to in news and views these are all tall strong guys athletic guys that aren't trying to be quick and nimble they're trying to be quick and strong they're trying to be quick and win the duels um, and I think that that is so important for Arteta and and it's something he really stresses I think possibly because maybe he can't access in terms of the 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 the, the money um to buy those elite elite level technical players like your Bernardo Silvers or whatever perhaps we're not quite at that level yet and that might be why he he stresses this but you can see when we're at our best we are winning the jewels and you know when I lose a duel I'm upset so when I lose a duel I am upset I still need to watch the final I think it's two episodes of all or nothing come on Brad who's up a fan anything else on the game Bradley Adams um, I think we, we've we covered pretty much everything. I think that Spurs had a lot of joy, especially in that second half, because we came out to just consolidate and win the game. You know, the damage was done. We knew that. We're not going to get our players overly tired. Massive positive uh, that we're not talking about enough is that Saka and... Is it Saliba? Yeah, those two didn't get a yellow card, meaning they're available. And also, I think after the next game, that gets wiped. So let's just hope they don't get a yellow card against United and then we're free and clear. Also a positive that Kane's available for City. And if they beat City and we beat United, that is 11 points clear, baby. Tottenham had 1.9 expected goals to our 1.8. They had more shots. They had more shots on target. They had more open play shots. They even had more possession. But all that matters is that scoreline, baby. 2-0 to the Arsenal. We'll see you after this. Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Thank you to those of you who support us on Patreon, on patreon.com forward slash diffknock. Get access to ad-free versions of the main podcast, weekly Patreon-exclusive bonus podcasts, and the Patreon-only instant reaction for just £3 a month when Brad isn't in a field. For less than the price of a coffee a month, you could support the podcast and get a lot more of us. It really would mean the world. If you're a fan of the YouTube, there is a specific tier for that on Patreon. Two, speaking of coffee, for one-time support, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash diffknock where you can buy me a coffee. Oh. The links are in the show description, darling. It's been right. weeks, um, since I've said that. Buy me a coffee. Mudrick, let's briefly, we've we've touched on this in our last podcast. I, I, I want to spend less than two minutes on this. Can um, I break it down then? I, f- I feel like I've got a good handle on go the situation. Okay, so go for uh, in short, <laughs> they uh, they they basically offered 100 million euros guaranteed. Uh, their add-ons were basically just completely achievable and were more a question of time rather than if. Um, also, they've offered him a seven and a half year contract at believed to be between 150 and 200,000 pounds a week. And it was rumoured he'd be on th- uh, 35 to 50,000 pounds a week on the contract that we offered. Um, the to- uh, Doing the maths completely, the total cost of the entire five-year contract for Arsenal would have been um, some somewhere in the region of 70 
five million pounds, uh, and for to- uh, for Tottenham for Chelsea uh, across the five year period not even including the fact that it's got an extra two and a half years on there, the cost was something like £160 million. So it's no wonder we did not match terms. Very glad we've pulled out. We just need to be smart and and get some people through the door ASAP. Uh, If you watch the videos of his reception, it's hilarious. Like fans are barely clapping. Uh, And I think what a shame because the reception that he would have received at the Emirates would have been absolutely raucous. Um, And Chelsea are now left with unbelievable amounts of forward options and are going to have an absolute fire sale in the summer but can't get rid of any of them because they're all on over £100,000 a week, baby. They are fucked. And 14-year contracts. Um, (laughs) Yeah, on that specifically, I'm less... I feel like Mudrik asked us to match the bid and we just said no, um, which I really rate. And that's a wider comment, not necessarily about Mudrik. You know, the fact that we're looking at things and we're going... We don't know the ins, ins and outs of it, but it sounds as though from the reporting that we've done, it, as always, it's it's uh, it's conjecture. <laughs> conjecture. Warning. Um, you know, Rafinha sounds like we just weren't gonna match that bid that Chelsea put in, and then and then Barcelona trumped. Um, sounds like we weren't gonna go over on Lissandro Martinez. Sounds like we weren't gonna go over on Blahovic. Sounds like we weren't gonna go over on, on Mudrik. We have a valuation and we stick to it. And you know, in terms of the track record so far, Vlahovic, we've got Jesus, great player. Martinez, we've got Zinchenko. I would argue how how could you improve in that position from Zinchenko? I I, I don't know for that for that role, certainly. Um and uh Rafinha, you know, we're still looking and Mudrik, we're still looking to to find that find that replacement. You know, this is clearly something we're looking at. So you know, it doesn't always, I think having different options and, you know, uh, I saw a great tweet that was something on the lines of, it feels like we're now in our city era where they're not overpaying for like Sanchez and Maguire. They they have a valuation, they stick to it. If it goes over that, they don't pay it. They have other options and it works out for them. Mm-hmm. And Chelsea are in their United era of just like absolutely spunking money up the wall. I mean, I, I, I saw them looking at Moises Caicedo today. So I've seen some links to Caicedo. I mean, they've spent like half a billion. Did you listen to the voice note that I sent you? No, I, I was at the gym, absolutely pumping. Okay, iron, so. quick lowdown on that. There's a. I don't know if this is pure guesswork, um, but there was a bit of. There was a t- there was a TikTok on it. And, um, I was at the, the gym. Guy, by the way, and the just, guy. I just. just all right, to highlight we get that. it. You pump iron, amazing. Um, there was a bit of a theory on it that basically. Chelsea were put on an FFP watch list at the end of last season. Uh, And the theory is, especially with these seven and a half year deals, is that uh, they might already be aware of some uh, coming sanctions and implications and transfer bans and such. And so they're trying to get as many targets as they can in for as long Uh, as they can. That's why the deals are seven and a half years, because they can amortise them over seven and a half years and it will last them the length of transfer bans and such. Um, no one is able, no matter how you amortise it, to spend £600 million in a single season and not breach FFP because they have not made enough money. They're still, they've got the Lukaku transfer on their books. So I think a theory that's floating around and that's been slightly reported could be bullshit, could be conjecture, but they were definitely placed on an FFP watch list and it could be that they know they've broken FFP and they're going, okay, we need to sort out what's going on out wide. We need to sort out what's going on in the midfield and we need to sort out what's going in the back line. And they're just 
they're fire buying as much as they can get their hands on whilst they haven't got a transfer ban so they can survive maybe an impending ban. Um, but who knows? I was really gutted because I was going to send you the TikTok because it explained it so much better than that. But uh, I I lost it. It refreshed my feed. Fucking TikTok. Get off that shit. It's ruining your brain. Um, right. Uh, no, I, 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 that is perfectly plausible. Um, I mean, should that be legal if that's true? No, but <laughs> it's also perfectly plausible. So they've got more um, signings than wins this season. <laughs> have they actually legit? Yeah, legit. They've, they've oh. signed more players than they have won Premier League games this season. Let's do some questions because I think this will be a way of getting through a lot of the rest of the stuff that we want to come to news and views. Matt Sloan says, discuss why we played a training game that was shown on Sky Sports. <laughs> Very good. Uh, um, <laughs> Brad, uh, just for you, Matt, Bradley did a little sort of knowing, knowing chuckle, but it wasn't going to be picked up by the mic. So, uh, Apologies. Made me laugh. Amir, <laughs> Amir at AFC <laughs> at AFC Amir eleven. Who do you guys think we could realistically get as a winger in the next two weeks? Well, Trossard's name has been mentioned. Uh, I like Trossard. I'm not sure he's the quite the type of winger. He's more of a sort of winger slash eight for me. From when I've seen him, I have to say that. You know, I mean, watched him in games against Bright, uh, you know, Brighton games every so often, and in the games against Dallas, so I wouldn't say I'm anywhere near an expert. But he's very tidy technically. Um, I think there's probably a role for him, but if he's going to be demanding to start, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. And I, I think, think he's his agent better work off going to another club. Guesswork. Yeah, I think his yeah. agent work and guesswork. They know that he's got six months left in his contract, and there's issues with Zerbi and Brighton. Uh, and they know that we've just lost out on a winger. So what the Sun and what other reporters have done is just smashed the two together and said that we're interested for the tune of 25 million quid. Arsenal have just pulled out of a deal for it being ridiculously priced and they think we're going to pay 25 million pounds for somebody with six months left on their contract who is... Like, it's just not going to happen. And I, He's not... Uh, a guy called Remedy, uh, fantastic, fantastic content on TikTok, on Twitter, go follow him, made a very, very good point. If, Like you say, if you look at what we want from our wingers, we want dribblers and, and carriers uh, and Trossard isn't that. Um, so I, I I think this is very much just journal guesswork rather than anything else. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Canon Stats, which is Scott Willis's um publication with Adam Ray Vogue, I think. Adam J. Vogue, something like that. Has sort of compiled a list of options in the Premier League. Um, the only ones that really are nice for me are Mitoma from Brighton. It's a lot um it's a it's a pretty small sample size. He's played six point seven nineties. Uh he's a very talented player. Um, there's no doubt about that. I, I I wonder about that, but you know, personally, I'm not against that idea. I like Elise at Palace. Um, yeah. This uh, I think his name's Will I Will I Ann at Fulham looks pretty good. So we could we could possibly have a, have a look at him. Harvey Barnes is always a, someone, but you know these it's are Harvey people. Barnes. I'm just sort of going. It's it's Harvey Barnes. 
I'm not in love with them. Damara Gray is too painful, so no. The one, the one that I like from the Premier League. Do we get Wilf Saha on like a because his contract's coming to the end, and then we stick him on a one plus one deal or something? No. Oh, I'd, I'd too old, like too expensive. Will want too much time. If you're Wilf Zaha and you're 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 looking at this, he's the perfect age to go to a club and like get his final bumper four year deal from like thirty to thirty four. So I just think that he's going to be looking for longer than we would want to give him, more money than we would want to give somebody in that squad role. You know, we we were looking at getting Mudrik in and paying him thirty five to fifty thousand pounds a week. I think it's whilst it would be good in the short term i think that past this 6 month spell from from january to the summer we start looking at that deal going oh god why did we do that so um i would mu- if if we cannot find somebody that fits in perfectly with our alignment in terms of the wages we want to play them the squad role that they're going to have i would much rather us bring in a loan for for 6 months than buy somebody because I think that it will just end up with wasted money and somebody on a wage that they don't deserve or somebody in a that, that then puts us in a position that we have to then kind of figure out what's going on moving forward. Yeah, as you said on the last podcast, short-termism has never has never helped. But if we're looking at the short-term options on a loan, I don't think Palace would loan Zaha unless he kicked up a stink. And sort of, they felt like I had, they had to do something. I think we'd have to buy him. Um, I don't know. I'm a romantic. I don't think it will happen. But no, no, no. We're more likely to loan in somebody like Ferran Torres. A deal that's been discussed. A deal I wouldn't mind. You know. Yeah, the, the, the low market seems. Yeah, it seems. seems it seems the smart we, move. There's, there's, there's no point getting someone in if we're not if we can't see a long term use for them. So. Yeah, and we've seen we've done loans in January before, so so why not again? Uh, let's go for... Ooh, Louis Blair says, We'd be keen to hear more about the potential of a Declan Rice signing. Sensational podcast as ever, and glad to see its return. Thank you, Louis. Very kind. Uh, Mr. Rice. I'm also, yes, I'm, please. I'm pretty sure news just came out that he's apparently one of our top targets. Or something on Twitter. Yeah, it will. That I think that's yeah. that's possibly what it's all come from. I think so. There's been some reporting in the Athletic. There was something in the Times earlier from Gary Jacob. I think it is all talking about Rice. Um, yeah, I, I look. I I really like Rice. I think firstly, you know, without sounding like Roy Keane, he's got the character. I think he's got the sort of the the type of character we want to bring in. He's a, you know, he's obviously a a England international. He's the right age. He's the right sort of experience level. He's looking for that next step in his in his career and then and then I'm looking at his his ability and I think he's what we want I think he might allow us to for example play with slightly more attacking eight um he might allow us to move on from Jacker possibly because he he has got that slight more um I think he covers a lot of space very well. I'm not saying Partey's legs are going, but I I I wouldn't say Partey's covering more space than he used to. Um, um, I think he's not necessarily lost that that sort of athleticism in short bursts, but I do worry about him long long term in 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 the big spaces. 
Rice, I think, has massively improved on his passing game. Every time I watch him, he looks so composed. He's a captain. Another captain, you know, in the in the sort of in the ranks would be would be useful. I really like it. Um, I, you know, I I'd be interested to see if it is true, which it sounds like it is. I'd be interested to see how we're going to deploy him. I imagine he'd be the lone six, and then I think that might be quite a facilitative thing, whether it's Fabio Vieira or someone else or whatever it is, or or he means that we can move Odegaard over to the left, which I think will happen eventually. Whether he also means we can move Gabriel Jesus around, I don't know, but I think I think he offers I think he offers a more clearly a more long term solution than Partey. But Partey works for this system so well that I'm just I'm kind of I'm kind of loath to change it. I think other things would have to shift around if, if Rice came in. I think it would have to be a facilitative thing in other ways. And I think for this team to perhaps go to that next, next level, if we had Partey and Rice, I mean, that would be incredible. I, I can't particularly see that happening. But also, you never know with the amount of, you know, appearances that they could possibly make. So, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, it's definitely something I could see happening. Um, I think that he could cover both eight and six. Um, like you say, his passing game has really improved, uh, and he he gets further up the pitch than 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 we think sometimes. Um, I think it it works as more of a coming in, deputizing at six, learning the system, and being an eight version of do you things. Think he'd want to do that? Yes, because what I'm saying is is he would start for us in that left eight because I think that he could do what Xhaka does for us um, and be starting okay. yeah, in yeah. the Premier League every single week. And then what that eventually becomes is Party's 30 this season, 31 next season, and is the one position that I really think will, because we know that we'll move on from Xhaka, is is the next position that's going to age out. Um, and being proactive with that I think is smart so bringing in a player who can physically dominate in that left eight get further up the pitch has a good passing game can be taught the intricacies of our passing game has a good technical level that can then whilst he's doing that say play Champions League group stages in six against teams to get a handle on that I really think is smart future planning from the club because Partey's injury record is sketchy at best uh, and especially the places where he's had injuries I would worry that as we get into his kind of latter stages of his career I don't want to be in a situation where we don't have a top top quality replacement ready there if he, he can't play uh, I don't want to end up in in certain situations where we're then losing points and and you know like um the united game where we one of the main reasons we dropped points is because we didn't have thomas Partey. so for me what i i can really see this happening and i think it would be really good from the club to get him in play him at that left eight have him learn the role at six and then replace Partey with him at six uh, and all that time you give to Vieira to blossom and you give him minutes at left eight or right eight, you can then swap things around and maybe put Erdegaard at left eight and put him at right eight. You can you can really play with things then. He is very versatile. And if we look at what we've brought in, it's players that are versatile across the board. You know, Vieira can play at both right wing 
and in in the two the two kind of attacking eight spots. We've got Smith Rowe who can play on the left and as an eight. We've got Jesus who can play across the front line. Saka and Martinelli can play on the right or the left wings. I think having him, who is a top class player, I've, I've liked Declan Rice for a long, long time, and can play both of those positions becomes very, very useful, especially if we want to be winning titles and winning Champions Leagues. You know? Yeah. I mean, I guess it all depends on our financial position, whether we feel like we can entice Rice and Partey to be there and whether we can afford that and whether we can achieve that, you know, in the same way that City have Rodri and Calvin Phillips. I mean, it helps them no end. And if we're trying to, and as I said on the last podcast, if we're trying to compete at that level, we have to sometimes do things that are of that level. We can't always look look like that. It may well be, and I will always focus on solutions, i.e. if we... If we don't have Rice, I don't think it's about necessarily... For example, with Partey, at the moment we have a drop-off because our nanny comes in. I'd rather find different solutions. So whether it's... we we, But again, we play so well with the double eights and, you know, it's 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 kind of becoming our identity and our the thing we're used to. Whether you stick another player in there or you change the system slightly... Um, it's going to be something for, for Arteta to, to have a look at. But I think Declan Rice is... I think your idea of playing him at eight, initially, actually, when you said it the other day, I wasn't wasn't too keen. But I don't I don't think when you... Because I was thinking about an eight as an Erdegaard, but actually that sort of Granite Xhaka role, I think could really suit him. Because I do think he's an, he's turning into, certainly, an all-phases player. Um, he can turn... He can get it on the half turn and receive it. He can He can spray balls. He can break the lines. And I've seen him get beyond and I've seen him take shots from, you know, from outside the box as well. So very possibly. Um, and it, it presents yeah, it's, a, it's really a really interesting ex- thing that basically you, you're you in a win-win situation there. He either excels in that left eight and you go, okay, well, we've now found the perfect like final home for Declan. And then you start looking at, okay, the long-term solution to the Thomas Partey problem. It's forever or, home, like he's a dog. or you go, okay, he's been really good as that left eight for a season. Let's move him into six and get somebody else in at left eight. Do you know what I mean? You might, you might stumble onto a winner and he might stay as that left eight in that Granite Xhaka role, or you might go, okay, I don't, the only, I don't see a downside to it because also if he stays in that left eight, we know he can cover at six and we know he can cover at center back much better than our current options. Um, I, I just think that yeah, the there's only, so many upsides. The only problem will be that £400 million bid from Chelsea, won't it? <laughs> yeah, but they're not going to have Champions League football, so there's... That's true. Todd Burley will probably appoint himself manager and goalkeeper at some point. Uh, Chaperdegard. Chaperdegard, I believe is how it's meant to be pronounced. Uh, after the three currently negotiations, which player is next for a new contract? Uh, and I thought I'd rather use this as a... I know who this is. It's Piers, and I'm going to ignore his question. Um, and uh, my friend Piers. And I'm going to look at the contracts to close this show out and just have a look at where we are. So we've got, you know, Marquinhos, Fabio Vieira, Gabriels, the Gabriels, um, Jesus and Magalhaes, Enketia, all those sorts of players. They're all on long-term deals. Starting in 2025, I think we should probably within the next year or so, open talks with Ramsdale about a new deal. There's a one-year extension um, on his current deal. 
Cool. Yep, and if we trigger so that, whatever, but you know, it's it's be twenty twenty six. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, Tommy Asu has two years from this summer. Um, Same situation. Probably... It's got okay. All cool. of those people. We what we were doing were four year deals with an option of a fifth. So that uh, Erdegaard um, same or no? Tommy, uh, Erdegaard, no, actually, Erdegaard <laughs> doesn't have have um, to my knowledge, doesn't have a an, an option of a further year. So I think okay. he's well, I probably think first within the next eighteen months. Yeah, within the next 18 months. And I think supposedly that's that's already in, in the offing. Um, Partey hmm, expires in 2025. I guess it, it depends, depends on Rice. Yeah, it all depends on or Rice whoever, and what happens that. this summer. <clears throat> yeah, I think that'll depend on this summer. Martinelli, on 2024. We, we're, we're in negotiations with him. I think that will happen at some point. Saliba, hmm. same. Saka, same. Um holding no expires in 2024 I would I'd keep him till 2024 but I'd just let it run out yeah if he's if he's got an extra year if he wanted to sign a one year extension but understanding he's not going to play but I think for Rob Holding if I was his agent I'd, I'd suggest he needs to move on and I wouldn't offer him a new contract unless he was clear of his role which he may well be, you know. Who knows? Well, he might sign a year extension or two year extension. I mean, I mean, who knows? He's obviously happy here, you know. That uh, post he put out yesterday of Beth Mead, he's you know he's a proper gooner, um, and he talks about now how he feels, you know, is almost one of the older, older members of the squad. But you know, he is sort of part of that quality drop off technically at the back that we just can't afford to have anymore. Arteta, like when he was one of the people that Arteta did celebrate with on the on the route to the celebrations. So I think he's obviously well liked within the camp. No, and if I, you're talking I have, about, I have no doubt about that. Yeah, if he's fifth choice in terms of centre backs, if we have two left footers and two right footers ahead of him, I'm not fussed if he stays as that fifth option. Um, but again, it, it you could have that fifth option who's rarely going to play be a youth prospect who isn't on the kind of wages that holdings on, you know, you're talking about yeah. 5,000 pounds a week versus 50,000 pounds a week. And it's those incremental savings that will go towards being able to have more than one specialized player on the books in certain positions. Yeah. And I just think the technical level drops so much when he plays, he's a good defender. He's, he's a lot better than, and he's been really useful for us, but I just think possibly that contract just needs to run Cedric contract run. Or yep. he'll go. I think supposedly Fulham are in for him. Um, we'll see what happens there. El Neni, I imagine he expires this summer. I imagine he'll go. Um, there's another. There's an option of a further year in Enani's, but I don't think we'll extend. I get. I guess that will all depend on Partey, the new six. What happens at eight? I think that will all be dependent. Reese Nelson, oh, I can't see it happening. It's, it expires this summer uh, unless. Unless there's some huge turnaround and he has an absolute explosive situation, I just think that'll run and uh, and we'll go off with our blessing. The final one is Xhaka. Expires in 2024. Does that have an option? Doesn't say. No. Don't think so. I think, again, that, that, that depends what happens over the next year or so. Uh, I, I think I if think we get a different yeah. six in, I think he might be shifted you know as brilliant as he is and as brilliant as he's been we're growing leaders and that's what he is at the moment 
and he's a senior senior figure but we're you know the likes of Erdegaard and you know I think Ramsey, he goes when his contract are coming, in, coming into their prime years Sinchenko's coming into his prime years Jesus you know we're, we're growing those types of players and I just think the technical side of his game is j- just lower than what we need I think he probably goes yeah I think he goes in 2024 because I think what you have is then another full season of if there's a there was a really amazing clip going around of him during the warm-up talking to the guys and really getting them up for it so I think you keep him for another year the the last year of his contract because if you look at it you're you're going to get 10 million for that right maybe for a year left on his contract at his age 10 to 15 million is probably all you'll get offered he is worth more than that in the dressing room <laughs> you yeah. know with what I think Arsenal are, are keen to do things right and I imagine they won't want to put another two years on and make a club pay over the odds for him I imagine they'll probably want to let him go especially if we achieve something well certainly we're going to achieve Champions League football I mean <laughs> say that touch forward hopefully we, we'll, when we get Champions League football which we absolutely should from this position um, that's what he wanted to achieve and hopefully we can win something big um, which would be a great send off for him as well Right, Brad, we've just got time for a little bit of Arsenal trivia. We are lost in this, lost in the source. The last question, I think, was about Brazilians, but I've forgotten it. So the the new question for this week, and I'll have a theme for that next week and then we'll be on for it, uh, should be fine. So your question for this week is, which I could have could have asked before, but then you go, you get a free hit. Uh, the theme was Brazilians at Arsenal in 2004-2005. And the question was, how many games... Did Edu Gaspar start for Arsenal in the 2004-2005 season? How many games did Edu Gaspar start for Arsenal in the 2004-2005 season? And I'd like a theme, please, Scrambly Brapples. We'll, we'll, We'll go with the man who led us, who is the leader off the pitch without the armband. I would like a Granite Xhaka based question, please. What a turnaround of his career could go down if we win the league this season as an Arsenal legend after being an Arsenal villain what a story he's on the back of my Arsenal home shirt I love him dear oh yeah Brad's got Brad's got a Xhaka shirt can you imagine listeners if you've got this far you're probably quite into different knock and you might have been listening for a while can you imagine can you imagine Bradley Adams getting a granite Xhaka top even a year ago what a story what a turnaround. What a man. What a man. What a handsome um, man. This week, there's a uh, video coming very soon. Uh, there is a bonus podcast coming midweek. We'll have I'll have a preview video for you on Saturday. We'll have an instant reaction to United on Sunday. So lots and lots of different not coming at you this week. Um, yeah. That, that'll about do us. Anything gravy. from you, Brad? Absolutely nothing, my friend. Do you still think, stick a shit or...? Nah, I've had a fat bath since then. A fat bath? With a PH. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Keep it different, Knock. And we will see you later. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support The Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at Diff Knock. Thanks.
Social Podcast Network.